0: Let's dive into today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, uh, we've got some volunteers coming. If you don't have, own a Bible, just go ahead and throw your hand up. We'll have some volunteers coming around handing out Bibles to you. If you are uh, following, following along in this, um, in this book, we are on page 826, I believe. 826, Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be looking here today. Just go ahead and put your finger on that spot. And uh, we're going to come back to that. Matthew chapter 18, verse 28. We're continuing our series here called Stories That Move Us. Stories That Move Us. And if you have been with us for the last several weeks, you'll know that we've been spending some time looking at the parables of Jesus. And and these parables were stories that Jesus told uh, to signify a deeper spiritual truth, a deeper spiritual meaning. He wanted to uncover, as we talked about last week, the treasures of God's kingdom, the treasures of who he is and of how God works. And if you missed any of our previous messages, you can catch them online on our website, and you can be all caught up. But we're continuing on in our series today, and we're going to be looking at a story uh, in Matthew chapter 18 that I think might cause us to feel just a little bit of tension in our souls. Jesus had a way of telling these stories that served as a mirror to say, hey, I want you to... I want you to look a little bit deeper. I want you to look underneath the surface of your lives. There might be something going on at your soul level that you're not aware of. And these parables had a way of of causing folks to feel just a a little bit of tension. And we're looking at the story in Matthew chapter 18. And in this passage, Jesus drops the ultimate F-bomb. The F-bombs of all F-bombs. I mean, this is the F-bomb that messes with us in all sorts of ways that we don't like. This F bomb causes us to feel things because this F bomb is something that all of us are inherently just not very good at. And that word is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and ask how many of you are just awesome at forgiveness. You guys are experts at forgiveness. I mean, my guess is that all of us in this room wrestle or have wrestled at some point or another with this issue of. Forgiveness And the folks during Jesus' time wrestled with the same issue. And so I want to look at what Jesus has to say on this issue of forgiveness in this parable, in this story that Jesus tells us. Now, for those of you who are familiar with my preaching style, I'm a, I'm a Trinitarian preacher. I preach through three points, and, and I, I unpack what God has for us in a given passage. That will not be the case today, okay? I'm not going to—in fact, I'm not going to read through the passage in, in one single reading. What I like to do is I like to provide you with a bunch of little mini points, and then hopefully by the end, it'll coalesce to become one big idea that we'll walk away with here today. And so if, if 30 minutes into the message, you're like, Dan hasn't talked about his first point yet. Don't worry. It's, a, it's just part of how I'm going to be unpacking the story. So we're going to work through the passage and take several pit stops along the way as we read through the story. And so Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version here, and uh, we'll also have it up here on the screen for you to read along with us. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Peter being one of Jesus' disciples, came to Jesus, and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? i like to take my first pit stop here. I, w- I want you to catch what's going on. I want to provide you with a little bit of context that I think will help you appreciate Peter's question here. You see, you got to remember, Peter has been walking with Jesus for some time now, right? We're into Matthew chapter 18. All this time, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples who walked around, roamed around, moved around with Jesus, watching his ministry unfold, watching his miracles, watching him heal the sick. Everything that we're saying about today, Peter had a first row seat to all of that. Peter heard all of Jesus' teachings, everything that Jesus had to say, and dispense all the wisdom of the kingdom of God. Peter was at the very first row seat of it all, and so in this, at various points along the journey, it would not have been outside of the realm of possibility. In fact, we know this for sure that Peter would have sat under the teachings of Jesus when. Jesus taught about forgiveness. In fact, several points throughout the gospel, the gospel of Matthew, from the very beginning to this very point in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has taught, has taught on the subject of forgiveness time and time again. He wanted his disciples to know that, he, that followers of Jesus are to be the most forgiving people on the planet. He wanted his disciples to know all throughout his ministry, guys, if you get anything, I want you to understand this. I believe that in the kingdom of God, in his rule and reign, in his economy, God's people, the followers of Jesus, if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus here today, understand Jesus puts you in this category. He believes that as followers of Jesus, you are to be the most forgiving people on the planet. You are are to be the most forgiving people people on the planet. How many of you know forgiving someone isn't very easy? It's hard, especially when you feel like the offense is disproportionately large, right? We say things like, you really hurt me, and so I'm having a really hard time forgiving you, and yet we're caught in this tension because Jesus is calling us to be forgiving people. We know what he's calling us to, and we're just having a hard time getting there, and Peter is caught in that place, Peter knows what is being asked of him. He knows, I know, Jesus, you've been talking about us being a forgiving people, that we are to be the most forgiving people on the planet. I know that. But Peter does something here that we do with God all the time. Peter does something here in this passage, right in this opening verse, in this opening question, that we do with God all the time. He's like, okay, Jesus, I know what you're asking of me. I know you're telling me that I ought to be a forgiving person, the most forgiving person on the planet. I understand that. But in reality, but in reality. Those three words is what is embedded underneath this question. But in reality. How many of us have done that before, right? We we open up God's word and we read the red letters and we say, wow, that's good, Jesus. But in reality. But in reality, I know, God, what you're asking of me, but in reality. Jesus, I know what you've taught. I know what you taught me to do, but in reality. But in reality. You see, that is what's underneath this question that Peter is asking. Jesus, I know what you've taught. You know, I know that you've asked me to be a forgiving person, but in reality, Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother, but in reality? reality. Because you see, in the Jewish tradition, you got to understand this, where Peter's coming from. In the Jewish tradition, you were taught the three strikes and you're out rule. Turns out they're more American than Jewish. They, They might not have played the game of baseball, but they certainly understood the rules. Three strikes and you're out. In other words, if someone offended you up to three times, in the Jewish culture, it was understood that you ought to forgive that person up to three times because it was understood that by the third time, surely the offender would see their wrong and come around. Surely by the third time, they would see their offense for what they, what they did, and they would come with a truly repentant heart. And, and, and at the third time, you would forgive them, and they would go on their way. But the fourth time, if, if you were offended a fourth time, well, now they're on their own. You are no longer liable to forgive them. And, and in fact, in certain Jewish traditions, they had an even stricter code. You had one shot. You screw me over once, and you're done. That's how we roll in New York. I mean, that you do me wrong once, you're done. You know, and and so in this culture, in this understanding, Peter enters into this, and he says, he says to himself, okay, I'm gonna do one even better. Jesus, I, I, I'm gonna really impress you here. Just just watch this, all right? Um, I know you asked me to forgive my brother, and I know that you know in the Jewish tradition we're to forgive our brothers three times if they offend us. I'm going to tell you I'm willing to forgive them four times, five times. Jesus, I'm going to go for the fences here. I'm going to say I'm willing to forgive my brother up to seven times, the number of completion, the number of wholeness. I mean, Jesus, come come on. Like that that's pretty good, isn't it? I'm willing to forgive my brother up to seven times, more than double the Jewish standard of the day. Isn't that pretty good, Jesus? And Jesus says, not really. In verse 22, he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Not seven times, but 77 times. Now, don't get caught up on the number here. What what does he mean by seven verses 77? I mean, Jesus might as well have said a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. Hear me, church, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're keeping score, you've already missed the point. If you're tallying off how many times someone has wronged you, I'm telling you, Peter, right now, you have already missed the point. If you're keeping count, if you're keeping score, you've already missed the point. I think the reason why Peter along with so many of us, have a hard time forgiving people is because we carry around a mental scorecard with us. We say things like, you did me dirty once, and I haven't forgotten about that. You crossed me once, and then you did it again. You had the nerve to do it again. And I'm telling you right now, I have not forgotten about that. Friends, by the way, isn't it funny the things that we tend to forget about? Things like, say, oh, I don't know, like God's faithfulness. The way that God has provided for us, the way that God has paved the way and provided everything that we need for us, the way God has delivered us time and time again, those things we forget about. But the ways in which people have hurt us, offended us, well, all of a sudden, our memories become magically intact, don't they? Like all of a sudden, no, no, that, I will never forget that. I'm never gonna forget that. Now, let me just clarify something here. I'm not saying that forgiving means to forget. I'm not saying that in order to forgive means that you forget. You see, there's a big difference between forgetting and letting go. There's a big difference. You know, I'm not saying that forgiveness is is hitting a moment of amnesia and just forgetting how people have hurt us. What I'm saying is that forgiveness is about letting go. You see, when some of the wrongs that have been done to us, I'm going to admit, they are hard to forget. They just stick with us. They stick with us. But when Jesus says, "I want you to forgive your brother up to seventy-seven times," Jesus, hear me, church. He's not being dismissive here. He's not saying, "Hey, listen, I just, I just, just forget about it." He's not going New York on us. He's not just forget about it. He did what he did. You know, just forget about it. You know, like his, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm not, I don't want you to forget about it. What he's saying is, I want you to let it go. I don't want this thing to cripple you. I don't want, things, I don't want this thing to rule your life. I want you to stop keeping score. Stop keeping score. Now, right there, I could just send a sermon for some of us. We, we need to take that to our prayer closet and wrestle with God on that one. Because some of us, man, we are scorekeepers, right? We're scorekeepers. Living with your roommate, housemates, I did the dishes last week, dang it, like, and the week before that. And this, you know, this schlub is not picking up his load or her load. Like, I mean, I, some of you are sitting next to your roommate, so I'm, I'm seeing your eye. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. You're like, yeah, you know, just, you know, dig into that a little bit more, right? Like, and we keep score. We do, I do that in my marriage all the time. That's something I'm growing in. Some of us are scorekeepers. Jesus is saying, listen. If you're keeping score, I'm telling you right now, you've already missed the point. You've already missed the entire point. Now, let me tell you what this also doesn't mean. Forgiving doesn't mean just forgetting. Forgiving also doesn't mean that you're a doormat for people to walk all over on. I think it's easy for us to hear Jesus' words that we ought to forgive people up to 77 times, infinite amount of times, just forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Well, it kind of seems like you're asking me to be a doormat, Jesus. Like people just will walk all over me. That's not what Peter, uh, that's not what Jesus is saying. In fact... Prior to this passage in verses 15 to 20, Jesus gives us clear instructions on how to deal with conflict appropriately. And in fact, that's a whole other sermon in in and of itself. I think that many of us can benefit on because some of us are terrible. We are terrible at handling conflict. And and so he gives us a blueprint in verses 15 to 20 right here in this chapter of how to deal with conflict. And we want to know something? Nothing in that passage in those verses indicates that you are to be a doormat for people to be walked and trampled all over upon. Nothing. There's nothing. That's not what forgiveness is all about. Then the big question is, what is forgiveness all about? What is Jesus getting at here when he believes, when he says that we are to be the most forgiving people on the planet? Well, then he goes into telling this story to give us a window into this principle of forgiveness. He tells the story of an unforgiving servant, and he proceeds on, and in verse 23, he begins this parable. Read along with me. It says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. There it is again. Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? We talked about this last week, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, another pit stop here. That might, mean not, that might not mean a whole lot to you, 10,000 talents, so, because we don't use that form of currency today, I, and, and I understand that. But let me give you an idea of what we're talking about here. A single talent, one talent was worth basically about 20 years worth of income for a laborer during that time, 20 years. So you do the math. 10,000 talents sums up to about 200,000 years worth of income. 200,000 years. In fact, in other words, this is what Jesus is saying. This is an infinite amount of debt. Again, don't get caught up on the 77 number. That's not his point. What he's saying is it's an infinite amount of debt. There's no end to this. There's no way that the servant was going to pay back the master. 200,000 years worth of income. You see, Jesus chooses this astronomical amount of debt very intentionally. He's not arbitrary in his choice of numbers here. He chooses this number because, again, he's doubling back on the 77 times sentiment. He's trying to reinforce with this ridiculous number that it's not about keeping score, but it's about having the heart of Christ and a kingdom-centric mind. The second thing I want you to see is this. And this might be a word for someone here today. I'm not sure who, but as I was preparing this, I'm like, Lord, this, you're, you're, you're pressing this on my heart. The reason why Jesus chooses this outlandish amount of debt is to show his people that there is no sin too great that God cannot forgive. There's no sin too great. Even if you feel like it weighs about 10,000 talents worth, Jesus says, There's no sin that my Father in heaven cannot forgive through my cross. In other words, he, Jesus says, I want you to see people, my death has covered your debt. My death, no matter how heavy your debt is, no matter how great your debt is. I mean, some of you are carrying out student loans that are up, out, out the wazoo, out of state tuition. Darn you, Pan State, right? Darn you! You know, like, ha, this is just not right. Some of you are carrying around a lot of debt. Multiply that exponentially. I mean, by two hundred thousand years or ten thousand talents worth. What Jesus says is, I don't care what your debt looks like. I want you to know, my death has covered your debt. My death, no matter how great your debt is, my death has covered your debt. And so, for some of us, we're coming in, dealing, wrestling with sins that we've been wrestling with for some time. In fact, some of you may have even questioned whether you should come to church or not because of your sin. Some of the sin that you, you wrestle with, you're like, I can't go to God with that. No, that's where you need to go, friend. So, wrestling with the sin, God, I, I've, been, I've been kind of, I, I just don't know if, if, if you can take this sin. Good news, folks, Jesus has already taken it. You're the ones holding on to it. Jesus has taken it. His cross has already taken it. There is no sin too great that God cannot forgive. And so we see this story begin, to, this story begin to, to flesh out with these principles right in front of us. The story continues. Listen to what verse 25 says. And since he, he being the servant, could not pay his master, pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees. Imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him. You know, the actual translation for this part of the verse, uh, in verse 27, would be better translated as, and having been moved with compassion, having been deeply moved to compassion, feeling deep compassion in his heart, deep compassion in his heart, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. In other words, the master threw out his scorecard. He threw it out the window. He was no longer holding the servant according to his debt. And now we're beginning to see what forgiveness is all about through this story. You see, forgiveness isn't about forgetting, okay? Because this master didn't forget what was owed him. He knew exactly. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if you noticed, 10,000 talents missing from your bank account, I'm telling you right now, you don't forget about that. You know what, the master knew what he was owed. He didn't forget about it. Forgiveness isn't about being a doormat because a doormat has no choice. I want you to understand this. A doormat has no choice. A doormat simply takes it as it comes. But the master in the story, I want you to see, he had a choice. He had a choice. And he chose to free the servant and release him from the obligation of paying his debt. Now, we're going to come back to this concept of forgiveness as a choice in a little bit. But, but the story continues, and this is where the story takes a little bit of a turn. In verse 28, it says this, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Well, again, a denari- or a denarius, singular form, is not a form of currency that we use today, And so let me shed some light here. A denarius, a single denarius, was the equivalent to a single day's worth of wages. One day. So this guy is choking out this other servant for a hundred days' worth of income. That's just a little over three months' worth of wages. And he chokes him out and puts him in prison. Now again... Jesus is not arbitrary in his choice of numbers here. He is very intentional about his numbers choice here. He's trying to show the absurdity of this story by contrasting these two debts. He's like, 200,000 years, 100 days. 200,000 years you're, you've been forgiven of, you've been released of, you no longer are held accountable to this debt. 200,000 years worth of debt and you're holding on to 100 days, just the, about three months worth of debt. What he's saying is, church, perhaps it's time that you gain a little perspective. Perhaps it's time that we gain a little perspective if jesus were here today i would imagine him saying something to us to the effect of so so wait a minute let, let me let me get this straight i forgave you all of your sins i forgave you all of your wrongdoings past present and the wrongdoings you don't even know you're going to make i've already forgiven you of that i've released you from all the ways that you have not walked according to my standard i release you and free you from all of that and you're holding on to a grudge Because of what someone said about you, 200,000 years, 100 days. So, So let me get this straight. You're telling me that I gave my life on the cross so that you can have, you can be clothed with my righteousness, covered in my grace, have the gift of eternal life, and you're refusing to extend grace and forgiveness. Why? 200,000 years. I'll do this, all day, church. 200,000 years, hundred days. Church, get some perspective. It's like Jesus, remember, he holds up this mirror to our lives, and it's like He's saying, "Really? I did all this for you, and this is what you're doing with your life. And, and Stuart, really? 200,000 years telling you 100 days, three months I don't even understand. I don't understand how this can be. It is absurd. And then Folks, I, 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 trust me, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. This message is for me as much as it is for you because I have the tendency to hold on to things. I have not forgotten about that. I have not forgotten about how you screwed me over. I'm not, I haven't forgotten about how you hurt me, how you did me wrong. I've not forgotten about that, right? We all are caught in that place and that's where Jesus is like, guys perspective perspective story continues on in verse 29 he says so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him have patience with me and i will pay you does it sound familiar this is exactly what the servant did with his master the difference here is in verse 30 in verse 30 it says he refused He refused. You see, this servant had the same choice that his master had, except this servant chose to refuse, to withhold forgiveness, rather than to free and release his fellow servant. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Forgiveness was nowhere in the picture. And verse 31, word gets around about what had happened. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Don't miss this, church. This is huge. I want you to see what Jesus is saying. When you realize just how much you've been forgiven of, you begin to realize just how absurd it is to withhold forgiveness for others. It's absurd. It's ludicrous. It, in a lot of ways, it's illogical. It doesn't even make sense. When you realize just how much you've been forgiven of, you begin to realize how absurd, how, how out, out, ridiculous it is to withhold forgiveness for others. Because you see, what has been done for you God expects you to do for others. What has been done for you, all the good that God has poured into your life, God expects you to then pour into others. What has been done for you, God expects you to do for others. This servant wasn't getting it. He was not getting it. In verse 34, it says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Last verse here in verse 35, it says this. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Everyone, say those words with me. From your heart. One more time. From your heart. And that's where we get hung up. This whole from your heart piece. Because you see, I I don't think the tension for many of us is we just... We don't think that God is calling us to forgive. We know God is calling us. We know we ought to forgive, but when push comes to shove, we just don't feel like forgiving. We just don't feel like forgiving. Because I, I, I get it, I get it. And I'm not trying to downplay your feelings, our feel, my feelings. If you know me, I'm a feelings guy. I'm very emotional. I'll, I'll tear up. You tell me about your sick dog, I'll tear up. you know. And I'm a very emotional guy. So I'm not saying emotion doesn't matter. I'm not saying emotion is a bad thing, but a lot of us, we just, we know we ought to forgive. We know that this person hurt me and and, and I know I ought to forgive, but my my heart is not just there. I said earlier that forgiveness is a choice. No one can force you to forgive. No one can coerce you to forgive. No one's gonna stick a gun to your head and make you forgive. Forgiveness doesn't work that way. Forgiveness needs to be something that comes from your heart, And so the question is, what do we do when we just don't feel like forgiving? Because I'll tell you right now, I know that there are some of you who are like, I just don't know if I can forgive that crime. I just don't know if I can forgive that person for what they did to me. Because you see, for a lot of us, our emotional hurt is tied up with our ability to extend forgiveness. So the deeper the hurt, the harder it is to forgive. The deeper the offense, the harder it is to forgive. And so consequently, we end up waiting for the feelings to materialize. I'm going to wait until I feel like forgiving. And once I feel that, I'll be ready to extend forgiveness. But how many of you know, maybe you've been here before, you might end up waiting an awfully long time. Those feelings might never come. And so we wait and wait until we feel like taking the steps to forgiveness. But here Jesus calls us to a different kind of way to live. But how do we do that? How do we do that when the pain is so real and the hurt is so deep? How do we get to that place where we genuinely forgive from the heart? You wanna know what the key is? The key is found in the cross. The key is found in the cross. It's real simple. It's not rocket science. It might not even revolutionize your world, but if you go to the cross, it will revolutionize you. It will change you. The key is found in the cross, listen, gang. If forgiveness isn't about forgetting the wrongs that have been done to you, if forgiveness isn't about being a doormat to be trampled, trampled upon, what is forgiveness all about? Here, here it is. Here it is. Through this parable, through the story, here is what Jesus is trying to communicate: Forgiveness is choosing to see the cross before you see the crime. Forgiveness at the core essence of it. Forgiveness at its very core is choosing to see the cross before you see the crime. You see, for many of us, we're quick to see the crime. You offended me. You did me wrong. Look what has been done to me. Look at this offense. Look at the aftermath of all of this. Do you see what she said about me? Do you see what he did to me? And when the crime is all we see, we lose sight of the cross. When the crime is all that we see, when we see everything that has been done to us, for against us, and, and the wrongs that have been done in our lives, when the crime is all that we see, we begin to lose sight of the most important thing that leads and paves the way for true forgiveness, and that is the cross. It's the cross. You see, when you have a clear view of the cross, you begin to understand what forgiveness is all about. Because if the cross were about anything, yes, it's about redemption. Yes, it's about sacrifice. Yes, it's about atonement. But if the cross of Jesus were about anything, it's about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness. Paul tells us in Colossians 2, verse 13, and you who are dead, this is us, by the way, this is us, you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. In other words, God raised you to life. He breathed his life into you. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses or all of our sins. Verse 14, listen, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he freed us. He released us from the obligation to pay for our sins. He took it upon himself. Jesus took it upon himself. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You want to know the key to forgiveness? Go to the cross. Go to the cross. The key to forgiveness is found in the cross. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And uh, as they get set up, I want to tell you one final story. Because this is a series about stories that move us. And I remember coming across a story and being deeply moved. Uh, last week, we, I mentioned the name Horatio Spafford, who uh, the author of the hymn, It Is Well. Today, I want to tell you about another individual by the name of Corey Tenboom. Have any of you heard of that name, Corey Tenboom? Just Just okay, awesome. A few of you. Uh, Corey Ten Boom was a, a follower of Jesus. Uh, she lived during the period of the Holocaust, and uh, she, um, her, and her family uh, uh, resisted the Nazi regime by hiding Jews within their home, by providing a safe place, a safe haven, uh, uh, a, a place of refuge for her, uh, for their Jewish friends. And they were ultimately discovered um, by, uh, by the Nazi police and they sent them to a concentration camp. Uh, Corey went through that period of her life having barely survived the end of the war. And in fact, much of her family members died in, in those camps under captivity. And Corey's faith during this time stayed strong. In fact, it was, it was Corey's faith. That carried her through this entire horrendous ordeal. It was her faith. And so, much for uh, during the post uh, war years, uh, Corey traveled all over Europe and, and in different places, uh, particularly in Germany, sharing her faith in Christ. On one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room where she was speaking. That night, she had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. But immediately when her eyes saw that individual, that man in the back, her heart froze because she recognized him. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with the visored cap. He happened to be the cruelest of the guards at the Ravensbrück camp where, where Corey was, uh, was a, a, a Suffer at, and, and in fact, it was in that camp under that guard that her sister had died. Corey, it was in this camp under that guard who suffered the most horrible indignities, suffered the most horrible tragedies that one can even Im- have a hard time imagining. Yet here he was at the end of her talk. He comes storming down the aisle, and he extends his hand out to Corey, and he begins to say, Thank you for your fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You see, Corey had said that during her message. And she had meant it. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness during her preaching moment. But here was a man who she despised, condemned, and hated with every fabric of her being. And she couldn't get herself to shake his hand. She was frozen in that moment. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor who she endured all kinds of suffering from. And she realized in that moment, this man has no idea who I am. I mean, after all, how would he, right? Amongst thousands of, of prisoners, how would he recognize me? The man with his hand out, he began to, he continued to speak and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. With his hand still extended, he said, I was a guard there. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I got to tell you, it's been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things that I had done. But I know that God has forgiven me. And, and if you so would, please I would like to hear from your lips that God has forgiven me too. And Corey recorded her response in one of her books. And this is what she says. I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven. I could not forgive this man. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult decision I had ever had to make. For I knew that I had to do it. I knew that, and it was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I have to say, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You see, friends, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. Goodness, no. Some of you know how hard it is to extend forgiveness. But what I am saying is, When we go to the cross of Jesus, what you find is that you've got everything that you need to be empowered to be the most forgiving people on the freaking planet. You got it. You have have it at your disposal. Why? Because the cross that Jesus hung upon is for us as much today for us as it was during that time, 2,000 years ago for the people that Jesus died for. It's for us.